It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yay! <laughs> this week's starring special guest star, Miss Erin Jacobson. Yay! <laughs> the only lawyer I like. Yay! <laughs> that gets excellent applause. <laughs> And thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. And welcome back to yeah, the show. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Always. Uh, love having you here. Thank um, you. As I Happy said, to be here. Thank you. Yeah. As I said in the email, um, yeah, Aaron is one of the few, <laughs> maybe the only. <laughs> now, I could think of one, two other attorneys I like, but yeah. uh, three if you count my friend Nancy. She's an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, I, I really do hear good right. things about you behind your back from our well, member. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, is yeah. not something most attorneys yeah. can lay claim to, but uh, several, many of our members over the years that have met you at the road mm -hmm. rally and ended up uh, using you as their attorney. Mm -hmm. uh, who was, oh, Chuck Henry and I mm -hmm. were out to dinner um, a month ago or mm -hmm. so, and yeah. he brought up your name. And, oh, uh, yeah. Chuck. He, he, he's... <laughs> Such an awesome guy. I know, he really he's great. Is. I love him to death. Anyway, um, I'm, for those of you who may not have read, oh, I should say hello. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Let's see who is in the chat room today. We've got Raman Conley, Martin Frog, Sherry Marcus Milano, Lamar Franklin, Am Cool, or A.M. Yeah, McCool, there we go. Uh, Daryl Berman, Lauren Georgie, Mojo Bone, Patrick Adams, Peter Rahill, Piano Guitar Voice Lessons. What an odd name. Your parents were mean. Um, <laughs> Marion Laird, Sasha Rose, Weather Eye. Anyway, hello, all. Welcome to the show. Oh, we have someone watching from London, Emma. Yeah. Hi, Emma. Hi, everybody. Hi. Uh, that, but I mean, it's midnight in London. Yeah, so that's real that's dedication. Dedication. Thank you for staying up late. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, anyway, Aaron is a music attorney whose clients include Grammy and Emmy Award winners, legacy clients and catalogs, songwriters, music publishers, record labels, and independent artists and companies. She's based in Los Angeles, where she handles a wide variety of music agreements and negotiations. In addition to owning and overseeing all operations for Indie Artist Resource, the Independent Musicians Resource for Legal and Business Protection. Um, do you want to tell them what Indie Artist Resource is? Give them yeah. like a quick overview so sure. they would know if they need it or don't. Right. So basically, Indie Artist Resource is an online e-commerce e uh, website that independent musicians, songwriters, etc., who are not quite ready to hire an attorney but still need simple agreements can download templates of the most commonly needed agreements by independent musicians and they come with instructions. So it's a DIY solution. So, but I've drafted them all, so I know okay. they're all good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. So let's say somebody oops i should get myself back in the frame here so somebody uh who needs we get asked this question a lot do you have a form or a simple agreement i can use for a uh what do you call it when a singer comes by and the singer sings on your thing I'm yeah work for hire a work for yeah, hire Thank we you. have that we get that yeah. question i get that right. question all the time and i know that people need it all the time so that's one of the ones that's on there so there's songwriter splits there's master ownership splits there's work for hire 
Uh, there's producer agreements, management agreements. So all this stuff, stuff is important yeah. because especially uh, like the work for hire stuff. I hear from people, oh yeah, I used a bass player on this, but it was years ago. Right. Uh, and now I have no idea where this person is or if they're even still alive. You know what? They will be alive and they will find you. Exactly. The first time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that That's what I was going to say. Wait till they come going, where's my share of the money? Right. <laughs> so. First time you're in a movie yeah. theater, they right. will be in the front right. row watching it. Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> not for nothing I saw the new Jean-Claude Van Damme movie came out the other day I didn't know there is a new Jean-Claude there Van Damme is movie. and okay. I've never been a fan but this movie was actually pretty good I got to go to a screening at Lionsgate the other night and the interesting thing was Jean-Claude doesn't say a word in the entire movie oh, wow. not one word he plays a PTSD veteran in the ah. middle of a gang neighborhood and the movie was actually better than I thought it would be. But um, I walked up to the director afterwards and said, you, sir, get an Oscar for directing Jean-Claude Van Damme, who barely hit anybody in the whole movie and didn't say a word. And the facial expressions were like, mm. you could feel it, you know? Yeah, so yeah. go JCVD. I think yeah. I got those initials yeah. right. <laughs> uh, okay. So what we're going to do today is we, oh, Bree is kicking me under the table. Hold up your little signs, Michael. Okay, Which click that. Which sign is that? Uh, <laughs> I think it means school's out or something. I don't know. But anyway, if you see one of those on your page, click it. Definitely give us a thumbs right. up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, share. Rem oh, that one gets very glary. There, there we go. go. Yeah, so like even just... Open up your entire address book and hit the share button and send it to everybody. And if you don't already subscribe to the channel, right about there is where the button will be. So click that button. All right. I did my stuff. Um, so let's just jump right into mm -hmm. the questions. Um, I've got some stuff that Aaron and I talked about prior to the big broadcast. So we're going to talk about those and then we're going to jump right into answering the questions that you guys submitted. Um, please don't be offended if we don't ans answer your question because in some cases we have similar questions that are answered by one. So whoever asked the question well or came first on the list, if there are other people that ask the same question, we'll say Bob Smith asks when it could be that Timothy Reardon and Evangeline Lilly and all these other people ask the same question. Um, did the you? Questions were good, though. Yeah, they yeah, were good. Even really Bria good said that as well, that, yeah. um, better than what we normally get. Yeah. Thanks for sending in good questions, guys. Um, okay, so a question I've got that I yes. hear from people a lot. Uh, is really, really important is checking the publishing box on yes. TuneCore, CD Baby, etc., and then submitting that music for possible publishing deals with music libraries. Now, um, the reason I'm so keenly aware of this is that when we play music on the show from taxi members, I will get a copyright strike notice from, uh, from YouTube, sometimes five minutes after the show is over, <laughs> and almost every single time, almost like 95 percent of the mm -hmm. time it's either published by TuneCore or cd baby right. both of which are fine companies this is right. not we're yeah. not judging the companies we're judging whether or not you are making an informed decision when you check the box right. so, um 
because technically you can't submit that stuff for a library deal Correct. because you already have a publisher, right? Right. So usually, you know, people just check the box and then don't read what it says. And we actually went over <laughs> I this. want a publisher, right. sure. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, but it depends what, what your goals are. Um, and we talked about this the first time that you had me at the road rally when we did oh, that whole right. session on libraries. Right. Because in the, I don't have CD babies, all their terms in my head. Why not? But, well, you know, because <laughs> I've read their agreement. But, um, but I do remember specifically in TuneCores, it says we are your exclusive publisher exclusive meaning the only one and they have provisions for sync in there saying they're the ones that can wow handle syncs so if you've checked that box you can't go give your music to a library and have them pitch it because it's oh we have to give our this is not legal advice disclaimer oh, even I though it's in the you, email it, I saw it in the email thank you <laughs> but I have to give sorry before I right. get into this whole thing I have to give this quick disclaimer that anything I say on the show is not legal advice no attorney client relationships created between me and anybody that's watching the show unless you're already my client high clients that are watching and <laughs> um, uh, what else uh, seek an attorney in your state for legal advice and if anything I say is an advertisement it's general in nature not directed towards any specific person Glad yeah. we got okay that we're done with that yeah all right so yeah so when you are are signed to an exclusive publishing deal, whether it be TuneCore, CD Baby, whatever, you can't then go give your music to somebody else to pitch or do things with because those services are already with this company that is your publisher. Um, so you do need to know what you're signing before you sign it. I would guess 90%. I could be wrong, but... Uh, the vast majority of people that put their music that use a service like CD Baby yeah. or or TuneCore to put their music uh, up online and distribute it to several places where it can be downloaded, um, I would say that if they see something that says, "Would you like us to publish your music and get you some syncs?" They're going to check that box, right. and then they're going to forget they checked that box five minutes after yes, they leave their. Yes, they computer. do. I get that question a lot. Um, even in like the taxi classes that I do at the road rally, yeah, yeah, and it's and then I have to go. Well, did you check the box? Are they your publisher? And it's like I don't know. And it's like that's, but that's really important because if you did that, you're tied up with this company. I believe the TuneCore term is three years. So um, technically, if you forget that you check that box. And then you do a deal with an exclusive, even a non-exclusive yeah. production music library. Technically, you're breaching your TuneCore agreement. And technically, they could come after you and sue you for something. I don't know if they would go for damages or something. You know, I, I mean, mean, right. In reality, like, is it going to make that much? But, I mean, hey, if you get, like, some huge sink or something, right. maybe they will. You know, and they'll be like, hey. Yeah, what if you get a TV what? commercial that pays 50K? And they go, yeah. whoa, 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 hold on a minute. They'll you probably just go, did... part of that's for us. Yeah, yeah. a big part of it. Um, you know, it's interesting. There are a lot of people who are agents that represent music for the advertising mm -hmm. community. And I've often wondered about that because I know people that have done that very thing, which is taken music that they signed 
you know what, they've submitted music to the agents that was under a non-exclusive library. So okay. that would be okay. That would be okay, yeah. Um, but I believe that technically the agents, pro unless they've got a California talent agent license, probably really don't have... Why would an agent in the music industry not have to abide by the same agency laws and statutes that an actor's agent does? They would. Yeah. So, but music agents usually are not pitching for sinks. They're usually the ones booking tours. Um, except right. for yeah, commercials. Yeah. yeah. There are a bunch of them, very reputable ones yeah. out there that are pitching for commercials, and it's often big dollar stuff. And, and right, because they're going to the ad agencies directly, and yeah. they don't have a license. Good to know. Anyway, you know what they say: everybody is probably breaking a hundred laws at any moment in time, and <laughs> they just don't know it. Um, okay, so what should they do if they've discovered that it was not a choice that they're happy with? Mm -hmm. If they've checked that box, two core CD baby, there are others out there. Um, again, this is not an indictment of these companies. Right. They're fine companies. They do no, what they, they say. No, they all do fine. They're yeah. all fine. It's just a matter of is that what you wanted to do in achieving your goals? Because if you're looking to pitch to a bunch of libraries, then you don't necessarily want to be tied up in a publishing deal with TuneCore or CD Baby. Or maybe you do because maybe you don't want to be pitching to a bunch of libraries. But if you're a taxi member, you probably do. Right. So, um, so how do they get out? Well, I mean, the thing is you have to, you're going to have to, well, at that case, like that's when you would call me and I need to look at the agreement and go, okay, what are the termination provisions? How can we get you out of this? Um, so, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's pretty much step one. And then what do they do yeah. if? If they've they, got another like two years left or something, and, like and that. they know yeah. that they've signed the same material to some exclusive libraries or non-exclusive, um, I guess non-exclusive. Oh no, non-exclusive yeah. matters too because right. they've signed an exclusive deal with TuneCore CD Baby. Right. So, well, non-exclusive doesn't matter as much as far as the non-exclusive library is concerned. It still right. matters as far as TuneCore CD Baby's right. Concerned. So they make but, a case. Hey, we have you exclusive. Right. But if both are exclusive, then yeah, you're gonna have to strategically. Get, put you know, a plan together for that one. Ask for Harvey Weinstein as your cellmate because oh, no. that way you get the good leftovers from his extremely no. good prison food. No. Um. Just saying, you might as well eat well if you're going to be in prison. Uh, anyway, so wow, people are going to yeah. freak out when they hear this. Right. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, I actually we haven't dealt with that, but I mean, the music industry is rife with you know people that tried to sell their song to multiple people or whatnot so it's not like the first time that it's ever happened in the history of the music business and, and probably largely due to either ignorance sloppiness uh, not so much by intent or well i guess <laughs> maybe by intent maybe <laughs> sometimes more ignorance i don't know i feel like people just I've, i mean my that's happened to some of my clients where they've purchased a catalog and then the Ooh. person's like trying to sell it to somebody else again but it ends up you end up finding out because like people are making claims on registrations and stuff and then it's like no 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 <laughs> What's They're trying to here? sell whole catalogs that have already been sold yeah or like certain songs wow yeah. 
I just got an email from a, an extremely credible friend of mine in the industry the other day, and he said, by the way, if you know anybody who has a catalog they'd like to sell, I've got an investment company of some sort that's looking to buy catalogs, and right now they're looking to buy catalogs that don't even necessarily have to have any significant income. Mm -hmm. It's like, who would want to buy a catalog without any income unless they're just like stuffing the ballot box later? He said, at some point later, they're going to sign stuff that's actually generating revenue. Right. But they don't get to sell a catalog based on headcount. It's average income per right. per unit, right? I mean, typically. Well, yeah. Metric. I mean, you would look at you know per song or, or catalog overall, and in any given catalog, it's usually only a few songs that are the income generators. Right. Um, and then yeah, you're going to look at the last several years of income and see you know what the trend is and make a. A determination of what it seems to be worth based on that and there's multiple involved and what is there a typical range of multiples meaning right now they're crazy yeah they're crazy they're, high? yeah it's a seller's market right really? now yeah good it's, to know they're all the i mean there was just an article today that like cobalt just is getting this whole new round of funding that they think is like a hundred million dollars or something so wow. um yeah all these companies are getting vc money and they're just buying catalogs and like as much as they can and they're overpaying for them because they have to spend this money that they've been given right so yeah it's it's that's what everybody pretty much wants right now is buying 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 do you remember when remember myspace uh, myspace ended up yeah. getting sold to like 20th Century Fox or somebody in the Fox yeah, family. Yeah, and then it just faded away. <laughs> they paid like $585 yeah. million in the end. They sold it to some company I've never heard of for $35 million. Mm -hmm. Talk about a write-off. Yeah. $550 yeah. Million. That's half a half a billion dollar write-off. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, even, I mean, even Facebook, I've been reading that as popular as Facebook still is, the younger generation, they're not using it as much. They're using other platforms more. So like Snapchat? Instagram, Snapchat, Instagram, like all those kinds of things. So. Yeah, our 18-year-old uh, daughter described Facebook to me once as, ooh. <laughs> it's like only old people. like it's for old people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, like most old people are just like, how do I use this? <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, if yeah. you've not inadvertently, if for whatever reason you have signed a deal with TuneCore, CD Baby, or any of the other entities out there that do similar stuff, and you've put that music in, especially exclusive libraries, you, my friend, need to reach out to Aaron and solve that problem because nobody looks good in an orange jumpsuit. No, just saying. <laughs> Um, okay, how do musicians make money from Spotify, Amazon, uh, Apple Music, etc.? Right, so those all vary a little bit. Um, so, and we're talking about, are we talking about the composition side or the master side? Because there's different royalty streams. Let's talk about both, both Yeah, so on the, so if we're just talking, so for Apple Music, you're excluding iTunes, I'm assuming. We're not talking about downloads for the moment. We're just talking about streaming. Does anybody download? But okay. I sure. do, but they're going to be going away pretty you're, soon. You're so. giving away your age then. Yeah. <laughs> I like to have my music there. I know. Um, I get it. So, yeah. So on the, on the streaming side for compositions, there is a streaming mechanical royalty and there is a performance. 
And then on the master side, depending on whether there's a label involved, there's either a percentage of ad revenue, profits, et cetera, paid to the label and gets divided up or there's... The label gets like... The label gets like this much and then the artist gets this much. Gee, how did that happen? (laughs) Hmm. Um, So going back to the mechanical um, for a second, I guess it makes sense it's a mechanical because you are affixing it to, well, not a physical entity. No, so what happens is when there's a stream, there's a data transmission. And so they're saying that the data transmission is akin to a reproduction. Okay. So that's why you end up with a streaming mechanical. And is but it paid at the same rate? Than no, mechanical? that was my next point. It's very different than the regular, like that 9.1 cents that everybody So let knows me guess, this is more like 0.0009? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I don't even think there's, it's a nine. Oh <laughs> so it's really, yeah. So And it's not totally on a per stream basis either. So it's a very complicated very complicated to figure them out. I remember you and I have spoken about this, and then um, who was the guy that you referred to me who I absolutely fell in love with? He's really smart, really nice, very gregarious. Um, his company is something.io. Oh, exploration. Yeah, yeah. And he explained it, but again, both these explanations went over my head because I'm not really the best student in the class, just saying. Uh, so. It was like when ringtones came out and everybody's like, what are we making on that? Because it's it's this like complicated formula that somebody just sticks some kind of algorithm in the computer and it comes out, but. Well, who determines what this formula is and if it's fair or not? Rate courts. And the rate court. That's why we have the NMPA lobbying for us, yay NMPA. Well, but how well have they lobbied if the money still sucks? Well, the money sucks now, but with the Music Modernization Act, it's supposed to get better. So uh, hopefully by next year, maybe the year after, but. And so which side, because I do remember, what's our uh, mutual friend's name uh, from Exploration? Aaron. He's also an Aaron. I don't even know if he's still with the company, to be honest. Really? I'm not sure. Okay. I haven't kept up with... I mostly talked to Renee, who's the other owner. So. Okay. Well, in any case, I know that musicians who are the artist actually... Or the master owner gets paid much better, I understand, than the songwriter. Is that yes. true? Yes. Yes. So the, the master side royalties, it's, again, it's because the labels were able to negotiate in a free market and because of the consent decrees of the PROs and, you know, a lot of other factors, It you know, plus that a lot of the... The royalty rates on the publishing side are set by the Copyright Royalty Board, and that so that's another thing that the NMPA has worked on is um, hearings with the CRB, and so the the royalty rate is set to raise by like forty four percent over the next five years or something. So we're not equal, but we're getting there. Okay. Um, so it's definitely we're going in the right direction. So can you give a Let's say somebody writes a song called, you know, I Love Deborah," and they're the singer on it, and they put it on a YouTube video. They wrote it, they perform it, they own the master, and it gets... So they get all the money. 10 million views. Right. 
Could you ballpark a guess? I mean, are they going to walk away with a check for $17.85 or Probably. $1,700? I mean, I've gotten, like, because I, I look at a lot of my clients' statements. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like there was something that was like 20,000 streams, and that was like $3 and change, like $3.27 or something like that. And then, but if you're getting in the millions of streams, you're making good money. So my yeah. daughter, yeah. and I brought this up before, yeah. um, that song that she co-wrote is uh -huh. now up to 4 million plays on oh, YouTube. Oh, great. So, that should be a few thousand. Yeah? Yeah. Good to know, because I asked another music attorney, he said it's not even worth filling out the paperwork for. For 4 million? No. Yeah. Do the Do the YouTube ad rev. Okay. Yeah. Can she collect it um, retroactively? Depends on how long it's been. She might not um, be able to. About a year, year and a half. She might be able to still get some of it at least. Okay. Yeah, I had that with a client that, um, I don't remember how many views they had, but I said, well, you're collecting your YouTube ad rev, right? And they're like, huh? And so I was like, okay. I walked them through how to go on YouTube and like go to that right. section and sign up. And they went, Aaron, there's like 200 something dollars here for us. And I was like, great. And then like after they looked at it, they're like, we're gonna be making it an extra 200 something dollars a month because you told us to do that. And I'm like, my job is done, thank you. Yeah, send them a big so. bill. <laughs> um, okay, making sense of how composers get paid when their music uh, is used in streaming shows okay. on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, et cetera. And, and you mentioned in our back and forth yeah. notes, this is really a PRO or a direct license thing, but we can touch on it. Right, so, so okay, so Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, whatever, they say we have one of our shows, we wanna use your music in the show. So it's there's gonna be a sync license. So there's gonna be an upfront fee for sync. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, it's either gonna be performance money from your PRO or a direct performance license, which is go probably gonna be part of that sync license to which those of us in the music industry say, do not take the option for direct performance and just go with your PRO. Because for direct performance, you're getting a flat fee and that might not be proportional to what you would get if it streamed tons so and tons of times. So if the show took off and became yeah. a massive hit and played for years and years right. all over the world, you might make many thousands right. of dollars whereas if you take the direct license thing from netflix right. it's or a Hulu, buyout right yeah. and it could be a couple hundred yeah well it depends on you know what the show is what they're licensing who the leverage is you know what publisher it's with etc cetera, etc cetera. but generally all of us in the publishing community anytime that topic comes up we're like no <laughs> no well it sets a dangerous precedent yeah because and that's if, what they want because right. they don't want to have to pay ASCAP and BMI licenses and are they not mandated to pay those licenses well um, if they're getting direct from everybody then they don't have to but when the, does the scale tip? Because look, most well, people... Well, as long as they have people that are not direct, then they have to keep paying the licenses. And that's sort of our thing. So They're paying the licenses anyway, so why would you do a direct deal? Want to hear something? I don't yeah. think you and I have ever spoken about this, okay. but we're always going out looking for new people to run yeah. listings with Taxi. And, uh, and reaching out to independent filmmakers that are making films that are roughly between a quarter of a million and maybe up to $5 million, um, 
many, uh, I started looking on filmmaker forums, etc. And it's amazing how all these indie filmmakers all want royalty free music because they truly, honestly believe that if they use music that pays a performance royalty, that they're going to have to write a monthly mm. or a quarterly check. Right. They don't understand the concept of ASCAP and BMI, you know, do these licenses, right. collect the money and pay pay mm -hmm. the creators. Yeah. So there's this whole community of people out there that are woefully uninformed on the subject. And they could be mm -hmm. getting better music if they only knew. Right. So that's my project for 2019 yes. is informing them. Well, it matters what kind of music you use in your project. I mean, that could make or break it. It really right. does yeah. matter, you know. And they're, I mean, they're terrified, absolutely terrified of having to pay a royalty. And they don't understand it does not come from their pocket. Right. I mean, it might if there's, you know, if we're talking, well, now nobody, I don't know you know nobody's doing like dvd distributions right. and stuff but you know in that case you would maybe need a per unit royalty or something like that if it wasn't a royalty free right um music but you're right yeah hardly anybody does it yeah exactly so i mean if you're just looking at the performance aspect then yeah uh and they don't even understand i believe that many of the indie filmmakers don't understand that certainly in the united states when music plays in a theater, uh, in a theater that right. nobody no pays a right, yeah. so you can sit there and say to your husband or wife or whomever, "That's that's my music up there, and that's about all you're going to get till it lands on TV." Right. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about the legacy space with yeah. terminations, legacy catalogs, heirs, estates, purchases, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, I know that this doesn't apply to a lot of our members, but you know what? I was kind of surprised in that several- We had some questions on that. Several. Um, and I've had people at the road rallies you know, asking, talk to me about it. Yeah. I so mean, I guess like, like, you know, if you're a musician, there's some chance your parents were Potentially, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we've got one taxi member, uh, I guess I should mention by name, but he represents his dad's catalog mm -hmm. and I think has done really, really well with yeah. that. So um, let's take these questions that are more specific about okay. that topic. Um, Chris Matarazzo, how do you say that? Matarazzo? Matarazzo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple of Jewish <laughs> folks trying to do our best <laughs> with Italian, although yeah. we do really well with the menu. Yes, yes. I can always order an Italian <laughs> place. <laughs> how can I legally license of use the vintage License of use, the vintage yeah. tracks of my deceased dad. You mean for use? I think so. Um, yeah, so yeah. your dad passed away. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Your dad created music. You obviously represent the catalog, but want to know legally. So take it away, yeah. Aaron. Sure. So, well, firstly, it's going to depend. What are we talking about? Is is it a song? Is it the compositions? Or is it the masters? Or is it both? Let's because assume that it's well, no, we can. I'm, I mean, we can assume it's both, but when we say tracks, that's not specific because legally we distinguish between the composition and the master recording. And um, so let's just assume for purposes of this question that it's, you know, his dad wrote the songs and recorded them and owns the masters. Um, so in that case, we just, you know, we need proof via either the estate plan or intestacy, intestacy law, if there was no 
um, or a court order if there was no uh, will. Um, so we wow. just need to show that this person is actually the the legal heir that has the rights to to distribute this, um, that owns it now, um, because sometimes you get issues where multiple people can be claiming to be the heir or the owner. Um, it's so, another one of those situations like uh, dad had a bunch of songs in a trunk. Uh, who cares until one of those songs gets yeah, licensed for yeah. a movie? So, then your brothers and sisters come out of the right, woodwork. Exactly, exactly. I'm entitled to this. Um, so, so that, I mean, firstly, because even for um, ASCAP and BMI, if you inherit royalty rights, you know, you have to show that you're the legal heir to be able to continue collecting those. So they actually yeah. have somebody at ASCAP or BMI? Oh yeah, their legal that... department. I do this all the time with them that, you know, we have to provide proof that the heirs are the correct heirs and we have to fill out the proper forms that the PRO requires. And so, I mean, I'm doing, I have a few of these happening right now. So, wow. um, so yeah, so then, you know, if Chris, if you're the legal heir, then, or anybody, you know, if you're the legal heir, then you can go about what I do with people is because a lot of people that have inherited stuff, they come to me and they say, okay, I've inherited this catalog. It's really great. Now, what do I do? Right. You know, I have ideas of what I want to do with it, but what do I do? So I then go in and I assess everything as to what's there and what's registered and is it correct and is chain of title correct? And, um, you know, so we can make sure because you can't if you don't know what you have, you can't do anything with it. Right. right. So you need to know what you have first. Um, and, and the people on the end user end aren't going to be ignorant enough, unknowledgeable enough, or sloppy enough to say, oh, you think you own it? Sure, we'll license it. Right. They, they want to know that, yeah. that you've got that locked down. Right. Um, so especially, I mean, if you, some of them won't necessarily check to, you know, but if you show that there's, you know, maybe a question, it's questionable or something, but a lot of them, they will, because I mean, because I've done that too, where I've represented uh, people that are licensing music mm -hmm. um, and and I have to deal with doing the licenses from the people that own the music and a lot of times even they're going like oh yeah well we can license that person's share and I'm like really I need something in writing to say that because otherwise somebody's going to come knocking on my client's door going why wasn't I paid my share and then my client's going to go well we paid it to so-and-so because they said they could collect for both of you and license for both of you. I mean, that actually happened to another client of mine where we own the composition and the master owner licensed on behalf of both of us. And I said, hold on a second. They do not have permission to license on our behalf. And then it was a film and they got all freaked out because the film was like just about to be released. And they're like, oh, no, oh, no. Like, you're going to pull the song out of the movie, which I didn't. But I said, you need to negotiate an, a license with us separately because they don't have. And they're like, well, they said they did. I'm like, well. They were wrong. And, and when those situations happen, all of a sudden people have tremendously inflated opinions as to the value of something. Um, Taxi once got sued by a member, and why he sued us, I don't know. Uh, yeah. he, he signed a publishing deal with an awesome company, very legit mm -hmm. company through Taxi, and then he got a placement and, and got, you know, like 
25 dollars mm. or something for the placement yeah. it, it was you know like in a reality show yeah. or something it was nominal uh and he was under the misguided belief that you would get $75,000 to license 30 seconds of music in a reality show. If, if <laughs> you're, you're famous, <laughs> maybe, you know, like... This guy was not famous. Yeah, I mean, if you're not famous and you don't have, like, a big charting hit or whatever, you're not getting 75 k to license 30 seconds of your song. In you're, a reality show. Yeah, in a reality show. You're, or, you yeah, know. or something on the History Channel, whatever it was. Yeah. It wasn't the kind of situation that would pay that kind of money. So yeah, I think a lot of people have these... Uh, they've heard these numbers. Oh, yeah, so-and-so got a quarter of a million dollars. Right. But you're right. absolutely but right if because you're, they're famous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're, if you have a number one hit or you're the Rolling Stones or, you know, I mean, yeah, like the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin or whatever, you know, they're doing a commercial. Like, did they get paid a million dollars? Probably. Yeah. Is, are most people going to get that? No. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, to have an experienced advisor with these issues, whether it's a library or a publisher or an attorney to kind of guide the expectations of, okay, this is a good fee or not for this type of use. I get people that complain, people who don't know the norms of the film and TV industry and they call taxi and go, you guys forwarded me to a company that wants a hundred percent of the publisher's share. Oh my gosh! I've been, you know, I took a course in college that said never give up your mm. publishing. Um, I, I'm a fan of if you think you're going to pitch that song to Beyonce, don't give up the publishing. If the song's been sitting, you know, on your hard drive for 17 years and there's literally no chance it's ever right. going to be a hit for somebody, right? Give up the publisher share if you know that the the publisher is a reputable, solid publisher that gets placements for people, because you're going to write other songs, and having a hundred percent of a song that's never going to generate right. a penny doesn't make sense. Well, but. and plus, there's a difference between ownership or royalties, mm -hmm. because when we say publisher share, that often refers to royalties. Right. Um, which you, I mean, usually you end up giving up ownership along with that, but you don't necessarily have to. It's going to depend on the deal. Um, so you may may or may not be giving up ownership, but you may be giving up 100% of publisher royalties, which basically is like half. So it's like 50 cents of every dollar that comes in. So are there publishers... Uh, music libraries, I should probably yeah. use that term. Are there music I prefer, libraries? Because I don't consider libraries to be publishers, even though they want to be. <laughs> well, te technically yeah. they are, but they don't act like a traditional publisher. Correct. You know, it has a, a, a stable full of writers and. Right, they... they're not doing co writes, they're not getting you cuts, like they're just pitching for sync. Right. which is the traditional role of a library. But now the, these libraries have just decided, well, it's so much more advantageous for us if we can actually own the copyrights. What so. about, have, have you ever seen a deal where they own the copyright and they don't own the master? I would think mm -hmm. that they all, really? Yeah, well, so, okay, so in the pitching world, people, and this was in one of the questions too, is that um, supervisors like a one-stop, um, clearance, mm -hmm. meaning they can clear the composition side and the master side in the same phone call, or same email. phone call, email, all in one go, same license. Um, but that's not always the case, um, especially if there's a label involved or, you know, or for whatever reason. So sometimes the master owner and the 
um, the publisher, the, the library, or whoever's licensing on the composition side are not necessarily the same person or the same company. Right. So, I mean, it happens, I'd say more in the indie world, one stop is more common because it's, you know, if it's a self-release artist or something, yeah, so it's easier. Or like some of my publisher clients, if the masters are not controlled by a label, then we will add those into the deal. So that way we can do one-stop licensing. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that it's that that's going to be the case. So do some indie artists do indie record label deals where they retain ownership of the master, but the label is just licensing the use of the Sometimes, master to put out that record? Yeah, but but in that situation, the label will still be the exclusive representative. So any licensing opportunities that come in will still have to go through the label. Yeah. Um, but I have seen indie record deals where they are licensing the masters and the artist is not giving up the ownership. That's a smart artist. Yeah. But uh, it's not easy to do that, right? No. I mean, you've got to have something that gives you leverage. Well, but some some indie labels kind of want to have that more partnership feel in their deals. So some of them are not asking for ownership, and they just kind of license it and do a 50-50 split on the income. Do they have some sort of step deal that if you know they sell 100,000 units that that they get ownership or they they, might. they've earned it, they've earned their yeah, way to ownership. Yeah, that's one of those things that just totally depends on the deal because like how we've talked about libraries before is that it'll say like oh if we get you a placement of sync fees at least $1500 then we own the copyright or right. you know things like that which you know my take on that is is 1500 bucks enough or you know whatever the number is is that enough for you to give up your ownership of it because it's like you said is this a song that maybe could be you know beyonce's next hit or is this a song that's been on your hard drive for 17 years and you know who cares and you have to be um, realistic about yeah. that because the vast majority of what people have is not going to be a hit for beyonce right so even though it comes from your heart and your soul and you put a lot of effort into it if it's been sitting there for a while and, and you haven't had the means to pitch it well uh, and, and maybe it's a style of music that is now passe you might as well monetize it in some way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just i'm a pragmatic person yeah um this oh. is a great question uh should i take this one i wrote yeah. songs with some did singer. we actually finish answering chris's though i don't uh, know if don't we finished answering chris's uh, oh how do you file a copyright for a song yeah. co-written with somebody who's deceased right but. so i mean there are fields that allow for information that type of information you mean fields so in the form in the in the copyright form so um so that's not undue i mean that's it's something that can be done um i don't think a they're all, this person's also asking about live recordings with the deceased participant with no known living relatives. I mean, probably nobody's probably going to come after you. And, you know, Aaron, if there's no, no, well. I mean, I don't want to, I mean, look, I'm not advocating <laughs> go do that, but if they have no known living relatives and well, they don't who, have a will, who gets who's going to gonna come? Who gets to decide that? Well, a court know? would decide that at the end of the day. Or right. you How have to go through the chain of intestacy. There's a hierarchy. Uh, in a trip to court, you know, uh, would it be small claims court? 
No, you're going to end up in probate court at that point. So you're yeah. spending thousands of oh, dollars yeah. before it's you ever walk pro- through the probate door. Probate court is not ju- cheap. So it's, it's a fortune. Right. So you have to decide, am I willing to take this risk for possibly spending tens of thousands right. of dollars in legal fees to defend myself right. later? I mean, it's for all of these, it's, it's going to be a really case-by-case situation, and it's going to be what is, your, what is the person's risk tolerance. Can you and set up something? Um, you can hold the funds in escrow. For that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like make an escrow for you can. Yeah, John it, Doe. Right, and, and then, then if somebody comes, like I'm the heir to John Doe, you could be like, here, I have your money. And you're so, in no trouble because you did the honorable yeah. thing. And then if you're like a week away from passing away, spend that money because John Doe's relative <laughs> get you what you did. Live it up. Michael said that. <laughs> <laughs> Take go on a really awesome yeah. vacation yeah. with John Doe's money. Yeah, right. Aaron would never say that. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Michael would. Um, okay. Uh, I wrote some song right. with some singers I no longer have contact with. Right. And they the story moved. of the music industry. Right. Really. <laughs> I recorded with people. I wrote with people. We never talk anymore. I don't know yeah, where they are. It was the yeah. 70s and we were all high at exactly. the time. Exactly. I'd like to release yeah. the songs. Um, what forms I need to fill out for now and in the future if I lose contact with a writer? Well, I mean, at the... It's kind of retroactive because when you write a song with somebody, you should be doing a songwriter split agreement. But if, you know, this was like in the 70s and you're not in touch with those people anymore, you can't really do a songwriter split agreement at this point. So you it kind of becomes that risk tolerance thing again. You know, are you, you know, you got to there's more facts than just like, hey, don't talk to this person like can you find this person? Is it, you know, like, are there any past agreements? Can you are make best any? effort and have that hold up in Sometimes, court? Sometimes, like, yeah. Uh, run I a mean, classified ad in the last known town that they lived right. in? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that is part of it. Um, so there are things like that you can do if you've really, you know, you have to do a good faith search. You do have to really try and find that person. But, you know, if you show that you did that and you can't find the person then that does hold some weight so so you might still get sued but the judge is going to look kindly upon you and all likelihood can't guarantee that because you made a good faith effort right okay um but if you do that and they don't don't say like that we told you to do that because we're not telling you to go do that this is interesting pierre Veniat. Uh, yeah, we're... I probably, <laughs> our French is worse than yeah. our Italian. And, and I took French four years in a row. See, and I learned Italian, too. French but. 101 four years in a row. And I flunked four times. Mm. Um, I co-wrote many songs with someone who's also the publisher. He passed away two years ago. I can't find any successors or heirs of any kind. Can I submit these songs to other publishers or libraries? Right. That, I mean, that's... That's an interesting Well, one. that's... I mean, this happens... Also, and it's, you know, it sort of becomes that thing like we really tried to find this person. We couldn't. So we're going to, you know, choose to do this. And if somebody comes knocking, we'll deal with it later, you know. Um, But sometimes depending on, like, if registrations and everything were already with this other publisher, you know, a society is going to want that oh. publisher to disclaim those if you're now claiming them. Talk about so, red tape. Yeah. yeah, so you might actually get held up in the process because if there's nobody to, 
to say, like, yeah, they can go ahead. Um, so you can try, but it might not, you might not get anywhere. I would imagine that for the PROs, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, that yeah. if the publishing company hasn't had any activity and they're... They may not even be defunct, but you know, right. just know, it, but they might just freeze it. Yeah, yeah. And they'll gladly hold the money and collect yeah. interest on it forever. Okay. In a this is an interesting question. Okay. A music library recording contract. What are the three biggest red flag sentences or phrases to look out for, right. from your perspective, especially for those of us who may be signing our first ever contracts in the coming years? Right. So the so the well, I'd say it's more words and concepts than sentences or phrases. But um, well, one is exclusive, which we already talked about a bit. So is that company going to be the only company that you can sign that music to or not uh perpetuity is another word perpetuity means forever forever um so if it says like you assign all rights to us in perpetuity it's like okay that means you're assigning rights away forever although potentially not if we're looking at termination rights but that's a whole other topic and, and again but, it depends it, yeah. there's no hard and fast rule because it could be an instrumental that you could write five more of them this right. week or if it's that song for right. beyonce well, then that holds a whole different it, perspective yeah and then it also depends how valuable it ends up being if you like if you sign it with someone in perpetuity and it still never generates any income or something it's like do you really want to go through the process of trying to get it back um but some people some people do because they feel like they can do better with it so it's it's really an individual decision um every case is different um so what else perpetuity exclusivity so i would look at the length of the term um the money situation so is it in advance what is the is there an advance is that advance recoupable? Which typically yeah. wouldn't happen for a music library. Yeah, usually but a not. regular publisher, right. yes. Um, what is the royalty split? And then the other concept is ownership. So what ownership um, are you giving up in that case? And you kind of like sometimes they're tricky because like we said, there's these threshold things where it says like, you know, you're not giving up ownership. But then if we get you a placement that has this much money and the fee then we get the ownership and then i've seen some really bad ones where they had income streams like certain income streams funneling into other income streams to then trigger that threshold so that they would get ownership and i was like oh this is so bad so they would try and roll in any income that comes from like right YouTube so streams or yeah Apple well it or... wouldn't just be based on like the upfront sync fee it's like oh but if these royalties roll in and we can then add it to that and it's it was bad. Which I kind yeah. of understand from the library's perspective. Right. The libraries well, it's two are competing interests. And they're yeah. loath to do a lot of paper pushing, even though they they're, they have to. Yeah. Um, but they want to sign something and know that they can keep pitching it. Because right. very often, some people put something in the library and it'll lay there like a lock. So I just got an email from, might have been Chuck Henry or Dean Crepain, one one of our you know bigger dollar earning members, yeah. saying they had something set in a library for years and years mm -hmm. and years, and then all of a sudden it took off, and it had uh, like two thousand and forty three placements in relatively that's great short order. That's a, I love that about music. Like I've had that with clients like 
that had songs from the 70s and stuff that did nothing. Like, we're on albums. They're like, they didn't yeah. earn anything. And then now it's like they got a big placement and it's like they're generating money. And, it, you know, so it's like the power of music. It just keeps it's on like going. It's like Christmas, yeah. 365 days it a is. year. Um, do you know our mm. oldest member just passed away about oh. two months ago? He was 94. Five years Cute. old and this gentleman had recorded stuff back during world war ii wow like big band stuff cool. and it sat there on a shelf for decades and we hooked him up with a publisher that specializes in vintage music mm -hmm. And he started getting placements to the tunes of, I believe, tens of thousands of dollars yeah, a year. Yeah, that's awesome. And I called him up like five years ago and said, Pete, I'm so happy for you, dude, you know, to be right. your age and have right. that extra income. It's got to be great. Yeah. And he got a little profane. He used to be a sailor, <laughs> but in a very sweet way. He yeah. said, listen, young man, you know, I, yeah. I don't give a blip, you know, about, right. about the income. It's all about the fact that this music is finally right. being heard by millions right. of people. Yeah. I was wiping mm -hmm. tears from my eyes because... Mm. For every musician, that's all they really want. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they should be paid, but there's that um, validation. Yeah. Well, some of them, they feel like, you know, I used to be in the business, and I'm not in the business anymore because, you know, I'm older, and my music's not doing anything and stuff. And then it's like you get this activity generated again, and it's like one of my clients, we tell him, we're like, you're back in the biz, you know, <laughs> and he loves it. He's so excited. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Robert Keats, actually explained the following sentence from a Texas company offer. Okay, oh. this company offers an exclusive deal. You'll split all upfront sync fees 50 50. They'll get 100% of the publisher share. You'll get it. We, we talked about right. this, but can you but synopsize what is, that? What is the question, though? Uh, it just, just says, please explain. Okay, yeah, so. He just wants to understand. All right, so it's an exclusive deal. That's the only company. I'm, you know, assuming this is a library deal. That's the only company that is allowed to pitch the music and collect the income. And um, any upfront sync fees. So that's the, the, the flat money fee paid upfront for the use of your music will be split 50 50 between the writer and the company. And then any royalties on the back end, like performance money, 100% of the publisher's share will go to the company and 100% of the writer's share will go directly to the writer from, and, and the writer, when we're talking about performance money, the writer gets paid directly from their PRO, so ASCAP or BMI. Probably most people on Taxi are not CSAC members because that's, I mean, maybe a few, but... It's a different kind of bar to be a CSAC well, member. Well, CSAC members invitation only, right. so um, a they, lot of people... And they only invite you if you've got an income stream? Well, they invite you if you're big or they invite you if you, like, know someone. So, like, some of my clients are CSAC, but that's because of me, kind of, you know. I mean, they had to like their music, but, I, you know... We get asked this question all the time, and I have to be political in giving my answer. People come up to me all the time at the road rally, and I'm sure we've got a question in here about that. Um, you know, do you recommend ASCAP, right. BMI, or CSAC? Right. And my answer is they're all great at some things, and they all suck at other things, and right. it kind of depends on the month. How do you feel? Right. Well, so... You know, again, CSAC you have to be invited to. So most people that are just going, I need to sign up with a PRO, are not going to be signing up with CSAC. Um, so it's really either ASCAP or BMI. And they're both really good. Um, but it just, 
there, there are certain nuances between them that kind of may matter more depending on what a person's career is like. But let's assume at the end of the day, they, you know, they both do a good job. Let's assume because so many of our members are now making money with film and TV placements. Um, I just somebody mm. recently told me that two writers on something. Um, one was ASCAP, one was BMI, and I won't tell you which one of the writers, but it was yeah. like seven times the amount of income. Yeah, from, but wait till the next statement. From one you PRO know? to yeah. the other. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. You know, maybe they just collected sooner and didn't right. hit this quarter statement. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, because usually it pretty much a wash? by the end of the day, you know, after, yeah, it might be like one statement's like one's a lot higher, but then maybe the next statement or the next two statements or whatever, the other one's higher. So at the end of the day, it will, you know, pretty much even out. If it doesn't, then there's a problem and you need to contact whoever you're affiliated with. So, yeah, but usually at the end of the day, they pretty much even out. Okay, good to so. know. Um, ooh, this one says, my questions are, if you have a song uh, Oh yeah, this was a more complicated one. This one's very complicated. Um, let's tackle it in the shortest way we can because we still have quite a few to go. My questions are, this is from David Horsley, uh, if you have a song signed to an exclusive deal with a music publisher with a standard 100% goes to the publisher and 100% of the writer share goes to you, um, split sync fees. So yeah, I'm guessing that means 50-50 right. on the sync fees. Uh, you release a video of the song on YouTube without the participation in any way or money from the publisher would you be required to split any of the income the video made with the publisher um I'm ask so if you if you need the permission if there are permission to release a video okay so let's and, take them one at a time right. would you be required to split the income if they own 100 percent of the publisher share you own 100 percent of the writer share and you throw a, a video right. of, you know you sitting on a stool in your bedroom playing the song on acoustic guitar right so partly it's going to depend a little bit on the language of the contract but just taking it in a general sense here um if they own it you're going to need their permission to even put the video up probably um and then yeah i mean you'll probably have to give them part of the income unless there's some sort of language saying that it's like only syncs that they've pitched or you know or the the writer is allowed to kind of do this on their own um so yeah probably you're gonna have to split it with them and they'll claim the video and they'll um you know they'll claim the video on youtube and um you know and collect it houses um and would you need their permission yes yeah um, um can this kind of thing be negotiated Yes. The answer is yes, but yeah. with any negotiation, you need to have a leg to stand on. You right. can't just say, well, I demand this, and they'll say, okay, fine, we're walking away from it, and right. you go, oh, geez, now I don't have a publisher. Yeah. Um, but if you have relationships with other publishers, then you can play that card. Right. Well, again, I, th I feel like this is more libraries than like traditional publishers. Yeah. Yeah. It so. is. Um, so few people sign. I mean, traditional publishing deals aren't anything like they used to be years ago. But um, you know, now it's somebody who comes up with a hi hat part is a co-writer on a song. Yeah, yeah, a lot of time. But that's often, you know, that's that's become more custom and practice amongst songwriters. But mm -hmm. you know, publishers still 
do what they're supposed to do. You know, they do licenses, they collect income, they do co-rights, they do, um, you know, cut, they get cuts, like they, you know, they, they collect more all like the income. They like A&R people used to. They, they also mm-hmm. like to throw people in the pot and stir it up and, you know, Publishers used to introduce co-writers yeah, to each other, to go, right? Yeah. But now it, it's also they enter they introduce artists and, and writers, um, right? Because that's part of getting cuts yeah. on the albums, right? So, yeah, practically the only way to get a cut right. on an album yeah. any, anymore. Um, let's see. Would the same thing apply to radio? So not necessarily because you're, you're tying in. It's not right. So radio is audio only. There's no sync involved. So again, it's going to depend on does this deal apply only to syncs and the royalties that stem from them? Or does this deal apply to all royalties? And, um, you know, you don't necessarily need the publisher's permission to make an audio recording. Um, because those, there's a compulsory aspect to that. But um, what was the last thing? Yeah, I mean, because then he's saying, is it possible that a deal can be negotiated whereby the publisher only receives money when the song earns money due to TV syncs and film? And sometimes that's the case. Um, so it really it depends on, on how, how this deal is structured. As the writer I hire, radio promoters, etc., and no participation from the publisher in any way. Yeah, but if the but if that deal covers all publishing royalties, whether they're from Sync right. or not, it doesn't matter that they didn't participate in hiring a radio promoter. They're still going to get their cut of the royalties from the performances of the song. The only the radio. thing they're going to give you is a hearty thank you. Yeah, they'll be like, great. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> More money for us. Yep. Okay, moving on. Michael Goldstein asked via Facebook, I had a demo professionally produced with vocals. I paid for the demo but did not complete a work-for-hire agreement. If the demo is picked up by a publisher or a music library, is the vocalist and, are the vocalist and producer entitled to royalties? And if so, how much? Thank you. The answer is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, okay, so first of all, People think, I mean, I'm glad that that Michael made this distinction. I paid for the demo but did not complete a work-for-hire agreement. A lot of people think I paid for it, therefore I own it, and that's not the case. Um, So you, even if you paid for it, you still need to complete a work-for-hire agreement, so get that done. Um, And then if the demo is picked up by a publisher or library, are they entitled to royalties? It depends because, first of all, it's going to depend if these people are union or non-union because there's different rules, because um, there's very specific rules that apply to union recordings or if they're SAG-AFTRA um, or anything like that. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is, you know, it kind of depends if they want to make a claim to come after it. Um, so with no agreement in place, it's like, a you know, you versus them argument um and there's no really like set royalty for that but they could very well make a claim and saying you know there was no work for hire and i'm on that recording and i am supposed to get something so it could be a problem do your work for hire agreements people are afraid to they are literally they think it's going to kill the vibe yeah Yeah. and 
I mean, I guess you could say save the paperwork for the end of the session, but I think that uh, there's always the chance somebody goes, yeah. Too bad. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then you've, you know, potentially paid them and then you're like, great, now I don't know that I can use this. But I mean, it's, look, this is a business and it's just, you know, like for songwriter split sheets, like nobody wants to bring that up either in a co-writing session, but it's, it's as much for the other songwriter's protection as it is for the songwriter that's saying, let's do a songwriter split agreement. Is there um, a de facto, if nobody signs a split agreement and something actually made it to a judge um, without hitting a settlement first, is there a de facto, like there are two writers, therefore it's 50-50, a lot three of writers, times, it's yeah. a third and a third I mean, I can't say that a judge would decide that way, but in practice in the industry a lot of times that it it does get divided that way because if you know if there's no split sometimes people would just be like okay two writers 50 50 three writers you know 33. in nashville i don't think anybody ever signs a split agreement because there's a you know a long-standing agreement that if you're in the room right you get paid And, and the theory goes if you were the person, all you did that day was make the coffee and that person and that person, you know, she came up with, with the melody, he came yeah. up with the lyric and all you did was make the coffee, they're okay with you getting a third because the next time you may be the person that comes up with the big hook that sells a zillion copies yeah. and they were making the coffee. Nashville's so. a little friendlier, but they're also, there's a lot of, they use union a lot more in Nashville. Like I had a client that decided to record their album in Nashville and I was like I don't think you know what you're getting yourself into right now and they're you know and they're like no it'll be fine and then what about all the studios that do stuff off card though off rate card Um, I mean they might but I mean I just had my client like constantly calling me like why do I have to keep paying more I just paid them why I'm getting another invoice what is all this and I'm like these are union fees (laughs) you wanted to record union so I mean, nothing wrong with that. You just have to know that there are rules that you have to follow and specific payments that have to be made for healthcare and pension and new uses and sinks and all that kind of stuff if you want to do that. So, um, uh, here's yeah. uh, one by Linda Starr. Uh, all my songs written years ago, I have no way of getting work for hire yeah. agreements. Some died, some disappeared. I played piano, my husband and I used our own studio. Here's the interesting part of this. One song was co-written, but he, meaning the other writer, yeah. presumably had Alzheimer's for many years now and in and is in his mid-80s remarried with no children uh, ever. What he's if, got a wife. Yeah, he's That's got a an wife. Heir. And he may not remember these sessions at all. So he, he may, she's got power of attorney Um Presumably over this because she's his wife. Well, I mean, we don't, we haven't seen their estate plan or anything, but if he dies, she's his heir. If, you know. So in the final question, Linda asks, is what if I get some calls from the handful of forwards that I've had through taxi? I mean, it kind of goes back to what we talked about before. You know, have you, you know, I mean, one option is to actually try and reach out and, get it handled with the paperwork for the people that you can find or that, you know, are alive or whatnot. I mean, another option is to hold the money in escrow for when they do knock on your door, you know, and say, well, we've held the money for you. Um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't fix the problem of, you know, they didn't sign off on it. And you might actually, if license, if licensees know that that these there are other co-writers here they might not license it because 
they yeah. they want their permission as well. Um, so it's you know it's going to be a case by case thing. I would think that if you reach out to the wife of this yeah. gentleman and explain the situation, um, she would be kind of silly not to sign the agreement. Or well, I don't know if she's the person to sign well, the agreement because it depends right. on their legal yeah status. But at least you'd have some sort of contact and maybe have more information as to what's going on. What happens if the wife of the gentleman who has Alzheimer's gets him to sign it? Could make she'll make a claim. She could make a claim later. He didn't know what he was doing because he was diminished mental capacity. Yeah, she could. <laughs> it's but then, complicated. But then is it? You know, I mean, but I think in this. See, this says one song was co-written. So are they? So is that just going to be a songwriter split, or is that going to be a work for hire? Because that's you know. Them signing a songwriter split is not necessarily as detrimental as signing a work for hire, you know, from... Yeah, I think it's going to yeah. be a split. So we need, you know, these are consultation questions because they really involve more information. All right. Jared Cavello asks, uh, what's a good deal to sign as an artist for contracts? Example, artist, 83% to the label, 17% for album sales. All these questions, even yeah. I know, and I'm not an attorney, and this is definitely not legal advice, but <laughs> even I know that there are many factors that go into making that oh, decision. Oh, totally. So what is a good deal? That There's so many factors that go into that decision. But, I mean, if you're just looking at royalties, 17% for, a, for album sales for a new artist with no traction, it's not a bad royalty, right? But there's so many other factors that go into that that you can't just look right. at what that if, one thing and go, okay, that's a good deal. Right. What yeah. if you give up 50% of your touring income and you're an actual right. working group that's right. out there making well, money Well, it's like I've, you know, some of the label deals, it's like because streaming is so big now, streaming is factored in and they will literally say that there are like hundreds of millions of streams. Like you need hundreds of millions of streams to count, mm -hmm. as, you know, for like royalty bumps and stuff. And it's like, there's no way anybody is ever going to achieve the numbers that they're like throwing out there. I mean, literally I had one negotiation and they threw this number at me and I was like, you're kidding me, right? Like that you're actually like <laughs> saying that that is, that is, you know, like a legit thing that you think I'm going to agree to on behalf of my client when like probably no human will ever achieve that number of streams. Like really? So then we negotiated it to like a reasonable number, but. Was the um, lawyer on the other end of the phone like chuckling? Like No, this was actually over email, but oh. I was really like, I read this and I was like, are you kidding me right now? This is like this they is, had to know. This, yeah, yeah, but this I'm, yeah, I mean, it's like when you throw something like that out there, you have to know that it's ridiculous, you know. And as lawyers, we're not supposed to like do yeah. that. So it's a waste of everybody's. Yeah, time. exactly. I mean, so we negotiated it down to something that was reasonable, but still, I was like, why would you even start there when you know that that's just ridiculous? More billable so. hours is the only legit. Well, they reason were in house, could... oh. so there was no billable hours wow. for them. Yeah, because that was a label lawyer. <laughs> okay, uh, Nassar Hughes asks via Facebook. I'm looking to become a ghostwriter for hip hop and R&B. What are some good negotiation deals? What are some good negotiation deals wants, should I offer? Yeah. I'm, I think you mean. He wants to know what 
de- what types of deals should he offer to the people that he wants to write for? Okay, such as writer credit with royalty reimbursement or sell a whole song or a chorus for a flat rate. Also, does ASCAP cover publishing rights for songs? Okay, so that's a, whole that, separate that's a separate question, but I want to address it because it's really important because okay. it's a common misconception. Um, mm-hmm. So as far as what kind of deals to offer, that's going to totally depend on what you're doing, your business structure, how many songs you're churning out, who you're writing for. Um, all kinds of different factors. When it comes to beats, like beats are really big now. Um, and so a lot of times that's either a non-exclusive license to use the beat, an exclusive license to use a beat, or a buyout of the beat where it's actually a sale. Um, so it's it really, I mean, again, this is another one of those questions where I would sit down with somebody and go, okay, what is your business structure? What are you looking to do? You know, tell me exactly what you're doing, who you're doing it for, and then we'd structure it in a way that is going to make sense financially and business-wise for Why that person. Why would you want to be a ghostwriter? I don't understand. Because know. it's it's actually, you know, is like for common? beats and stuff. Well, that I a, understand. But, but a lot of times just, they get credit for the beats, too. Right. So It's like, I, why would you want to be a yeah. ghost? Anything, because you would, to get other clients, you want your name associated right. with it. Right. I don't Just know. I, I've run into people that have leased beats, which in yeah. my um, non-legal opinion, leasing beats is a fool's errand because, uh, I mean, it's one thing if you're going to make a lovely little piece of music and put it on a video of your kid graduating from high school right. on YouTube. But that's going to expire. Yeah. Especially if you're using these beats and stuff that you're going to be pitching to music libraries or right. getting placements in TV shows and they're leased. Yeah, the term ends, yeah. and you're so screwed. Right, and you're like, oh, can't use this anymore. So. Uh, but they will continue to use it, and they'll go, oh, I didn't realize it had a shelf life. Right, yeah. It's a problem. Don't lease beats. But um, so the second yeah. separate question is also, does ASCAP cover publishing rights for songs? So ASCAP and BMI are performance rights organizations. Their job is to collect and distribute Royalties when compositions are publicly performed. That is one royalty stream of publishing. ASCAP and BMI are not music publishers. They don't do all the functions of music publishers. They have their job of collecting and distributing performance royalties. They're very good at that, and that's all they do. So they are not your publisher. Please don't think that they are your publisher. But people ask that all the time. Like, oh, yeah, I signed up with ASCAP or BMI. They're my publisher. And I'm like, no, they're not. You are. If you think ASCAP and BMI is your publisher, you are missing out on several other different royalty streams. So, yeah, it's a problem. Uh, there's so much information out there. Uh, first of all, the Internet. An yeah. Endless pool of information right. well even um, on my website go to my website yeah. the, the music industry lawyer.com i have tons of articles on the there. music industry lawyer.com yeah. i mean folks the the information's out there you can't plead ignorance anymore yes it used to be that you had to go buy um uh, this business of music which was a very right. thick and very hard book to get through um, the Brayback Brothers just came out with a new edition, a new edition of their book. Right? We love the Brayback Brothers. Those guys. Oh, crap. I owe Jeff a phone call from Thursday. That's Oops. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> I just remind me. I looked at it on. Well, Jeff knows I'm on the show today. So. <laughs> Damn! I looked at my Jeff phone. Jeff will last... have Michael call you. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jeff. I looked at my phone yesterday and went, "Whoa, there's another man." Oh, yeah. Jeff called me. Oh, that was Thursday. Yeah. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah. Um, anyway, those guys literally don't miss anything. Yeah. No, uh, but what's better than than one lawyer? Well, two. Two lawyers, <laughs> especially when they're twins. Yeah. No, they're great. Um, okay, so moving on. Whether okay. I asked via Facebook about collaboration. I like that. We got a little header there. Yes. When collaborating with other writers, performers, and producers, how can I still state that I own the sync license and the master? Um, how? When, There's how? a little... Okay, so you don't own a sync license. I think what they are saying is that they have the right to license for sync on behalf of whoever the collaborators are um, and that they also own the master and that's going to be something via contract that is written in the contract that's negotiated um, and then they say is that changed if I give a percentage to a song of songwriting to a collaborator and yes that is going to be changed unless you also have an agreement to which you can still pitch on their behalf even though they maybe own a percentage of it. Because otherwise, if you have people owning different percentages, then they're allowed to pitch on their their own behalf or, you know, collect money on their own behalf unless there's a, um, you know, an agreement saying that this particular person is allowed to pitch on behalf of everyone and, you know, and they have the the responsibility to account to everyone. So if it, if you and I co-write something, um, but I I had the idea for the song, I had the chorus worked out, I'm the main writer. And yeah. because of that, uh, you and I cut a 60-40 deal. You're a 40% okay. writer on this song. Do I instantly have the ability to pitch the stuff because I'm the larger shareholder, if you will? No, we uh, each have the ability to pitch our own share. So, and, then, and then if somebody wants to license it, they will have to come to both of us for permission. So that's when problems arise, when right. somebody else decides to hold up the whole shebang because right. they figure I'm in position, a right. position and of leverage. And it's always like the one that has like 5% or right. something. And they're like, hold on, can we really, you know, do we get more money for this? Or I don't understand this license or they don't get back in time or whatever. So in situations like that, if you don't trust who you're working with, then maybe you have an agreement. So like... In the situation where we where we write a song together, which will never happen. <laughs> yeah, which is not going to happen. But um, you know, if one if we have an agreement that one of us can be in charge of that function, like so, let's say it's me, then I would pitch it and then have something in writing to show that I have permission to grant a license on your behalf, and then whoever it is would pay me, and then I would pay you your sixty percent. Can I rescind that right at some point if I choose to? Yeah. I mean, it's like an admin deal. Okay. Um, let's well, talk I mean, it depends on the contract also, but usually there's... Let's talk about yeah. admin deals. Okay. I, I know that's on our sheet somewhere to talk about. Okay. And, and a lot of people don't understand with all the, you know, like BMG Rights and, yeah. and Cobalt, many companies out there providing services for musicians. And one of the services that they provide in, in most cases for mm -hmm. companies like that is an admin deal. Can yeah. you tell these folks what an admin yeah. deal is? So an admin deal is a type of publishing deal um, where you're not giving up your copyright ownership, but the publisher is still providing all the 
the same functions of a publisher, um, and but it's at usually a smaller percentage than if you were to sign a songwriter deal or a co-publishing agreement. So, um, so usually, well, if you're a Cobalt, it's probably like a five percent deal, but you know, ranging up to maybe twenty five percent. So, so instead, any, instead of taking fifty percent or you know, something right. like that, or, or 75, 25, you know, they're taking a smaller percentage because they don't own anything, but they're still performing these functions for you. And um, the functions, will the set of functions they perform be uniform and the same throughout all these Usually, deals? Usually, I is mean, it a la carte? well, when they, so when they own something, they have a little bit bigger incentive sometimes, right? So they're, you know, putting their, if it's active writers, they're putting them in co-writes and their cuts and pitching and stuff. But they're still, for admin, they're still going to be pitching. They're still going to be uh, issuing licenses. They're still going to be collecting um, so, I mean, maybe they're not pushing it as heavily, but there's, but it depends on who it is and what company you're with and it could all that be. kind of stuff. What if it's a, a small music library owned by one person mm. and that person's expertise is making relationships and pitching music mm. and they don't want to do any of the paper pushing or money chasing? Could they go cut a deal for admin with? Yeah, they have back end. Yeah, and so therefore the Cobalt or the BMG entity would have no responsibility for doing anything regarding plugging the music. No, they just basically be you know collecting the income and doing the paper pushing that is the back office function of the other person that you're signing the deal with that that is making the relationships and pitching and all that so there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of income for them unless the library you know if in aggregate there were enough things because you know a lot of it could be instrumental pieces getting used in you know reality tv where it's all going to be back end and it's it's a penny business that in aggregate makes a lot of money right so yeah it's interesting i'm surprised that more libraries that's the complaint I hear from virtually every library owner I know is, oh, I hate doing the paperwork. And That's some, admin. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to admin. It's getting more and more complicated. I mean, I just, I have calls like this every day about admin information being incorrect. <laughs> so, and, and then we have to fix it. And they've got to sit there and tag every single song mm-hmm. and put it in all the different formats that different entities like right. to receive it in. Ugh, a lot of work. Yeah. Anybody who ever asked the question, why does the library get half the money? They earn it, trust me. They do work. Yeah. <coughs> um, okay, moving okay. on. Moving on. Thanks to Jared for putting my URL in the chat window. Jared works in my office. Good job, Jared. Hey, Jared, thanks. <laughs> um, do you want to say oh. it verbally uh, one more time for people that are watching? Oh, the musicindustrylawyer.com. And then if you missed the beginning, we talked about Indie Artist Resource where you can get contract templates if you're not quite ready to hire you know, me in my practice or whatnot. Um, so that's IndieArtistResource.com. Both are in the um, description. In Both the description are in the below, description below the, below video. the video. Okay, Jeff Herstick uh, asks, uh, one of my artists covered an old song. When you say one of your artists, I'm guessing that you're a label. Um, the track uh-huh. was produced extremely well, and I think I can get a sync license for it. 
However, I cannot find the song publisher, Ridgetop Music from Great Britain, anywhere. I think that they were a British publishing company that may have gone out of business. Therefore, uh, there is nobody I can contact to get the song cleared for licensing. Is there some solution? We, we've spoken about that before. Right. Well, part of it is, you know, just because you can't find Ridgetop, it's possible. I mean, they may have just gone out of business and have, you know, been faded into the ether, but they may have been purchased or the rights yeah. may have been acquired by another company. So it's really something like this, like if some, like, if Jeff called me up and said, how do I do this? For me, that would be more about looking other places to try and track down like the chain of title and to see, you know, are there other, is there other information that we can use to see who might actually own this? And it still might end up being a dead end. I don't know, but. And you have to look at. But it's going to be more based on the song than the fact that it was Ridgetop. And the fact that the, track was produced extremely well honestly my humble opinion doesn't mean that it's more prone to get a sync than something that's less well produced it's more about is it something that's useful in a scene does it convey a mood i mean it could have you know specific things about times dates places names products profanity in the lyric that could make it it could be the best produced right. song in the world george martin could have produced right. it and it would suck so look at it from a an end user's perspective not the production value yeah. um also i think he might be a manager because later on he okay. talks about getting in touch with the label bear family records now okay. releases they told me they do not know the publisher where i can find them they said they get mechanical licenses mm. from recordings from a european equivalent of harry mm. fox I think the original recording was never released at the time it was recorded. So yeah, everything yeah. that Aaron said earlier about you know best efforts, you gotta, and then you as a business person being the manager, assuming typical twenty percent management fee, you have to look and go, okay, how much money will the artist make? Or how much money will I make uh, versus the time you'll spend in getting this all squared away so that it could be pitched? It may not mm -hmm. be worth it. You could spend fifty hours on this to get a $1,500 sink. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, again, it's going to depend on what this song is. And, you know, maybe it's recoverable and maybe it's not. And, and is it worth it? I don't know. Jerry Folkman asks, uh, regarding putting one's music online and collecting the royalties, is there a simple checklist for self-contained individuals or bands who write and record only their own originals that outlines all the steps for putting music online so that most, if not all, appropriate royalties are monetized. For example, I believe here are some of the steps. Uh, these are some of the steps. You're going to need to use a digital distribution service like CD Baby to get your music into popular streaming and download platforms. Number two, you've got to register with ASCAP or BMI for songwriter and music publisher royalties. Performance royalties only there. Yes. <laughs> Um, it's amazing yeah. to me that people don't right. understand that. You're just much. like, again, it's one royalty stream. There's multiple royalty streams when it comes to music. So, um, number uh, three, re uh, register sorry. No, that's no. okay. Go ahead. You register can... with Sound Exchange for mechanical royalties from certain wait, streams. Wait, no, no, no. Okay. Sound Exchange, yes. But Sound Exchange does not collect and distribute mechanical royal royalties. Sound Exchange collects and distributes digital performance royalties for the master. So sound exchange is like the master side equivalent of, of what ASCAP and BMI is to the composition, except 
On the master side, the performance royalties are only for digital, so like streaming services and satellite like Sirius XM. So if you want to register with a service to collect and distribute your mechanical royalties, which is a composition royalty, that is the Harry Fox agency. You know, really what this yeah. person's asking for, is there one place I can go? Is there There's a book or place. a website oh, that well, explains? Uh, well, I talk about this when I do my taxi classes, but if you can come take to the road rally, yeah, take my class. <laughs> absolutely. But it, it is, it used to be everybody knew you wanted a record deal and a publishing deal right. and you needed a PRO. It's way more complicated than that. But now. see, well, it is, but see, you know, if you got a publishing deal, like your publisher is going to be registering for Harry Fox, you know, for you and then collecting it and then paying you your writer's share. So you didn't need to be a direct member of Harry Fox at that point. But Same now there's thing. so many people that are self published. Same thing is yeah. true for music library deals. Uh, most of our members, I would venture to say, and I am not personally recommending this, it's just an observation that I've made, which is most of our members who are doing instrumental cues don't even bother registering them with a PRO because number one, they see them as something else they could create five more just like it this week. So it's not that precious or well, important. Right, but if you're on like a network show and that's like in reruns and it's a little cue that's on a cue sheet and it keeps airing, that's a lot of money you're missing out on. But they know the library will register it. So they yeah, don't. Yeah, but you, but there's still a writer's share. So, so that's the question. You still it, have to be a member, even if you're not physically registering every single queue yourself. If the library is registering it, you still need to be a writer member so you can get the writer's share. Otherwise, so you you're still, missing half the income. Right. You need to be a, a member of a PRO, yeah. and they need to know, right. especially they need to know your bank account number. Yes. So the money can make it. That's <laughs> yes. the most important thing by far. But, um, are they correct in assuming that the library, uh, during the process of, you know, this cue gets used on an episode of the Kardashians, yeah. let's say, and the cue sheet is going to show that, and the cue sheet's going to get so turned into So this is here. part of the library's job. Right. However, not all companies do the job at the level that they should. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to name names or whatnot. But, oh, come you on. Know, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> But, you know, and this happens even at the level of major publishers. Mm -hmm. Some are better than others at doing the admin and registering what needs to be registered. Um, and as a writer, you need to understand what's happening and make sure that it's being done correctly because if your library or your publisher or whoever is registering things wrong, you're not getting paid. Like they're not getting paid, but you're not gonna get paid because of their mistake. So to then not keep an eye on that, you're sort of just letting them like cheat you out of money. And they may not care because you're one of 10,000 right. people. Uh, right. To you, that $387 is important. Yeah. To them, it's like, eh, we know that there's a certain amount of stuff we're gonna miss and this right. is just one of them. Yeah. And I see in the chat a lot of people are mentioning SongTrust, and SongTrust is a good company as well, and I do business with them. So that's another option for people. Uh, tell them what that, SongTrust does. So SongTrust does publishing administration, basically, but it's like an online thing that you can sign. Like, instead of clicking the box on TuneCore and CD Baby, you can go to SongTrust, and they're your admin. It's like a one-year deal, so you're not stuck in it forever. But keep in mind, it's still 
you know, you still have that issue as like if you're pitching to libraries and stuff, like SongTrust is still your admin. So you need to, um, I don't exactly remember what their policy is, but I do know that license requests go through them. So you're going to have to see whether that actually works for what you want to do. Um, so for UK, somebody's asking about UK writers. So if it's um, involving US, um, then yes. But if it's a UK writer writing in the UK with UK companies, then you're going to want to get a solicitor in the UK um, that uh, focuses on music Say that industry. Again more slowly <laughs> oh sorry so okay so somebody is asking if i can help uk writers um and the thing is is that so i'm licensed in california um you know i practice within california for state and then copyright is united states federal law um but in the uk there are different laws um it's europe so there's you know copyright works differently there and, and, so, and potentially could get messed up with brexit yeah well you got the we, UK that's a whole other yeah. thing yeah so um but so if it's a uk writer that is doing business here in the u.s and specifically in california then yes um but you know as far as royalty collection and different things like that works differently over there their societies work a little bit different so if you're a uk writer only doing business in the UK or within the EU, um, you know, you probably want to be with a UK solicitor that specializes in music, so. And how would somebody, how does somebody know if they're hiring a good music attorney right. or a good solicitor? Yeah. How, how do you know? That's a great question. Well, see, okay, so again, like I have a series of articles on my website, like how to hire the right attorney for you. But the thing is, is that you don't, you don't know their work product until you actually work with them. Mm -hmm. um, so in that case, like if you know somebody that's worked with them, then that's helpful. Um, but if you don't, you're going to kind of have to try and gauge that from your conversation. So I've had a lot of people that come to me and they're like, oh, yeah, I was with another lawyer, but I never felt comfortable asking that person questions hmm. or, you know, they were just sort of like, oh, I'll handle it. Like, don't worry about it kind of thing um, and didn't explain things to them. And like, that's not the way I do things because at the end of the day, it's it's your business. Um, so you need to know what's going on. Even if you say, Aaron, just go handle it for me. You know, I'm always happy to answer questions or probably tell you more than maybe you even want to know because, they, you know, I never just go, oh, I'll handle it unless, you know, unless it's really something that, you know, they're just like, I don't know, Aaron, do it, you know. Um, and then I can say, like, I'll fix it, don't worry. But, um, you know, but I also know that I'm going to be handling it correctly for them. And I get, I've had things that have come to me and I, you know, I've had to call the client and say, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but I'm going to have to redo this because that person did it wrong. Um, and just because someone says that they're an entertainment lawyer or a music lawyer, they don't, 
they might not know. I mean, not we talked about this with libraries. Not every attorney, music attorney, knows libraries. Most not, don't. The vast yeah. majority do not. They yeah. they go, oh yeah, I've done music licensing. Right. I represented somebody who was a you know a Sony writer. Right. Well, that's a whole different right. ball game from yeah. independent music right. libraries pitching you know? and, to reality shows. Yeah, and like I do a lot of work with like copyright recapture and termination. Not all attorneys do that. Like some music lawyers are just like do major label record deals all day long and Are, producer deals i was on do the those phone. even happen anymore they do but i was on the phone with another lawyer like a week or two ago and we were doing a co-publishing agreement between um because there was like a it was it was a song split but it was with an existing song so it was basically here's how we're sharing the song and you know we both have authority on our own to you know to handle our share and blah 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 and so I was doing the registrations on behalf of everybody. And so I said, okay, this is how I'm gonna register it with BMI. Um, is that fine? Is that the right account, blah, blah, blah. And the guy just said, you know, I have no idea how to do BMI registrations. Like, and I said, oh, okay. And he's, so we started talking about publishing and he's like, yeah. And he's a music lawyer and he's like, I, I don't really know publishing. He just admitted it to How me. How can you be a music lawyer and right, not know publishing? Right. I mean, That's I like think, being a brain surgeon. You don't know about the veins right. in the brain. I mean, I think they probably have him on like record deals and producer deals and that kind of stuff. And he's not dealing with like the nitty gritty of publishing. And I happen to really know and understand publishing and admin and that kind of stuff. So, you know. I didn't want him to feel bad, so I was like, oh, well, my practice, you know, I do a <laughs> lot of publishing, nice. but, you know, I didn't want him to, like, I think he already felt embarrassed enough on his own, but he, but so not everybody does. Like, you need to ask questions about the, the experience and, you know, and... Man, yeah. oh, man, <laughs> if... If you are... If you have a relative or a friend mm. who... Is a real estate yeah, attorney. Yeah, please don't. And don't. They, they love music, <laughs> no, and they no, took a couple of music lawyer. Right, no, took a couple no. of music law courses in college, no. and they go, no problem, I can handle this no. for you. Biggest no. mistake ever. They may yeah. be well intentioned. You're saving a little money. It's only going to be bad. For it's going to be bad because the music industry has its own nuances. It's its own little world, and even within entertainment, between film, music, television book publishing, they're all their own little areas. And so it's like film lawyers that I know, when there's a music issue, they call me. You know, when I have film stuff that, you know, somebody wants done, I call one of my colleagues. Like we don't, you know, we we don't really, cry. I mean, some people are like general entertainment lawyers, but you know, for somebody like me that just focuses on music, I mean, can I do a film deal? Yeah, but that's, you know, there's a custom and practice, there's nuances, there's ways things are done that you only know if that's what you're doing every right. day. And so, and that's what I do for music. And, and the rules have changed so much and yeah, continue to change. Continuing. And so, they're going to be changing more within the next couple of years with our new laws. So, yeah, if you're going to use somebody that 20 years ago, while they were getting their you know uh, law license no. to cover real estate <laughs> deals, but they took a couple of music law courses in college because they yeah. just love music, right. please, please, yeah. please don't hire them. Yeah, I've actually had phone calls with attorneys that are that person. They're, they're not bad people. They're not doing anything. No, they just don't they, know what they're doing. Right. You know? 
And in a private conversation with me, they will admit that. Yeah. But they're embarrassed to admit that to their friend right. or relative who's reached out to them. Of course not. Them. No, right. they don't want to admit to you that they don't know what they're doing. I mean, it's actually doing them a favor if they say, you know what, this really isn't my area. You need to find somebody that, you know, that really knows this. So, you know. And I do that all the time when people come to me with non-music stuff. Jam and Jay says, Aaron, I wish there were more like you. Thanks, Jay. And that's why I have her on the show. And that's why we love her, as I said in the email, because our members love her. All right. uh, We are eight minutes over, nine minutes over a lot of time. This actually flew by. Yeah, yeah, it really did. so your web addresses, again, are in, okay. in, in, in the description, but right. go ahead and say them verbally for people that don't So like for me and my practice, you're going to go to themusicindustrylawyer.com. And if you are interested in, you know, if you're not ready to hire me, but you need templates for contracts and stuff, then you go to indieartistresource.com. That you can. And... She will be at the Road Rally, even though I haven't even invited her yet. <laughs> I can guarantee you that she will be at this year's Road Rally. Okay, so take, I guess I'll be at the Road Rally. You will. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there's some people that we just love having back yeah, every year. happy and, to and come. You're one of those. Thank you. Um, with that, I bid you adieu. I have no idea what I'm doing. Do you remember what next week's show is? I know I've got somebody <laughs> oh, booked. Oh, yeah, you're listening to a member's music. Is that the Stephen Caxmart thing is next week? Really? Okay, so <laughs> next week... You folks are going to play A&R person. We're going to listen to somebody's music that was a taxi member who was not forwarded several times, and he disagrees with the screeners. And I said, you know what? Let's take this to the court of public opinion. And he's a nice enough person. He said, you know what? Let's do that. So you guys get to judge. Was the taxi screener right or wrong? All right. Um that's that. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, Aaron, Thanks thank you. It. Yeah, thank uh, you. Man, it goes by so fast. Yeah. Um, and we will see you next week for another, whoops, another <laughs> exciting episode <laughs> of Taxi TV Live. Bye, you guys. Bye.